0: And uh, we'll read some verses out of Ephesians chapter number four. And uh, I want to ask you to pray for uh, Preacher Malcolm. He's uh, visiting with a family uh, in Huntsville right now, a family, one of our church members that had an accident today. And uh, we'll tell you more about that uh, toward the end of the Bible study. We'll have a special time of prayer. But uh, your preacher is out being a pastor. Say amen right there. And doing uh, what any good. Uh, pastor any great preacher would do and I tell you what I praise God uh, for brother Malcolm uh, because when one uh, one of our family members hurts praise God that's where he wants to be and uh, so we need to pray for him and we'll have a special prayer time at the end of the service and pray for uh, this family we'll give you a little bit of update about where preachers at and at the uh, for now I want to look in Ephesians chapter 4 and we will have a good time. For those of you that haven't met me, uh, my name is Brother Travis Sharp. I head up Unsheltered International, our ministry to the homeless and, and the people that are forgotten around the world. And uh, I love doing that. It's my privilege to do that. My wife April is here with me, smiling pretty at me on the front row. And I am glad to be here. And I tell you what, I enjoy anytime time I get to stand and preach or teach and fill in. And so this is exciting for me. Let's look here in Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read in verse number, verse number 1. Let's start. The Bible says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. Well, how about that? What if we practiced that, amen? The Bible goes on to say in verse 3, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope, of your calling the Bible says in verse 5 one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all I like this now who is above all and through all and in you all now this is the apostle Paul and he's writing to the church at Ephesus and in these first few verses Uh, he jumps right out of the gun in this chapter and he begins to speak to the church about a very important subject, probably one of the most important subjects for a church family, and that is the subject of unity among believers and the unity of the Spirit, as the Bible calls it. And so I want to pray and then talk to you tonight about Christian unity. Let's do that. Father, we love you, and I thank you so much for these verses. Thank you for your word. And I pray now, Lord, that you'd help me to uh, deliver the message you've given me, and I pray you'd anoint the, the hearers, Lord, to, to hear and apply it. And I want to pray for our preacher right now, God, that you would give him great words of wisdom and comfort as he is visiting with one of our dear church members and their family. And I want to pray, Lord, also for that family. God, that you would bring healing and help and strength and everything else that is needed. God, we love you and we praise you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You can have a seat. Uh, The subject before us tonight is unity, unity. And uh, I think we know what unity is, and I think we know what it isn't. And we're going to talk about some of those differences today. You know, somebody said you can take a couple of house cats and tie their tails and not throw them over a clothesline, and they're together, but buddy, they're not united. <laughs> There's no unity there. They will fight. I was looking the other day at some uh, stuff on the Internet, and I found this little thing here that says... Uh, It says, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too, Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too, what denomination? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or or Southern Baptist? He said Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist or Northern liberal Baptist? He said Northern conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Northern conservative Baptist Eastern Region? (laughs) He said Northern conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist uh, Council Great Lakes Region Council 1912. I said, die, heretic scum, and pushed him off. (laughs) You know, that's a bit extreme. But it's a good example to show you about some of the things that people fuss and fight about in Christianity. And you know something, when it comes to the subject of unity, I want you to know this. Jesus prayed for a united church. One of the main prayers on Jesus' heart, as a matter of fact, in John 17, he said, Neither pray I for these alone but also for them which shall believe on me through their word. He's talking to his disciples, about his disciples, praying to the Father. He said, I'm praying that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they may be one in us. And you can find dozens of other scriptures as well where Jesus prayed For unity among believers. Hey, Jesus says that unity will add power to prayer. Matter of fact, in Matthew 18, verses 19 and 20, He said, Again, I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Now watch the last part of that verse. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And so with unity comes power in prayer. And with unity among the body of Christ comes the presence of God, the very presence of God. If you want to know how to have God present In a congregation, it's be of one mind and one accord and love and pray for one another and beg God for one another and lift each other up in in, in Christian graces. If we want to know how to drive the Spirit of God far away from a congregation, then we need to bicker and fuss and fight and, and, and be divided and God will be nowhere to be found. You know, in, 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 the, in these verses that we read, they say something about the grace of unity. The grace of unity. Matter of fact, in verse 1 through 3, the Bible teaches us that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. You see, unity comes from within, and it is a spiritual grace. While uniformity is actually the result of pressure that comes not from within us, but pressure that comes from outside of us. And we'll say more about that in a minute. But I want you to know that unity is a Christian grace, the grace of unity. Then I want to talk, uh, uh, just say a quick word uh, about the ground of unity or the grounds for unity. Somebody says, well, uh, you know, like the guy in our little story, You know they weren't exactly from the same root uh, uh, of 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 Christian experience, and so it was enough for him to want to push his friend, his new friend, off the bridge. You know things like that we don't need to be separating over. Things like the color of the carpet or what somebody wears to the to to the church service are not points of argument. But there are things that are uh, that are very vital for unity, and in these verses here, the Apostle Paul lays some of those things out. You know, many people today attempt to to unite Christians in a way that is not biblical, and we can see that all around. Uh, they will say, "We're not interested interested in biblical doctrines," but. Rather, we're just interested in love. Now, let's not forget about our our doctrines and just love one another with a blind love and throw the Bible out the door. Uh, When we do that, we're guilty of throwing God out the door. And so unity does not mean uh, to love one another and to accept everybody and to accept all kinds of damnable heresies into the house of God in the name of love. Because biblical doctrine always is our guide and is always should be our founding principle. Say amen right there. Uh, and, And if you'll notice, Paul did not discuss spiritual unity in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. You know what he was doing in the first three chapters? He was laying doctrinal foundation. And after that foundation was laid, foundations such as in chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, he told us how to be saved. For ye are saved by grace uh, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not, uh, not of man or of works, lest any man should boast. And so he laid a foundational a doctrine, And then he says, based upon the doctrines that I have given you, unite. And the cool thing is that we, ha- we don't have to go at this thing alone. We don't have to wonder who to be united with and who not to be united with. God has given us instructions in his Bible. And specifically, there's, uh, let's see, five or six things he mentions. He mentions in chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, he speaks of one body. This is, of course, the body of Christ in which each believer is a member, placed there at conversion by the Spirit of God. Did you know that when you accepted Christ, Into your heart to be your personal Lord and Savior. You at that very moment by the ministry of the Holy Ghost of God was placed into the body of Christ. That's why I can call you my brother if you're saved. That's why I can call you my sister if you're a lady and you're saved because the same Holy Ghost that placed me into the body of Christ when I got saved placed you into the body of Christ when you got saved. And guess what? We've got the same Heavenly Father. Amen? And so the Bible speaks of one body as a ground of unity. The Bible speaks of One spirit in these verses as a grounds of unity. That's speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, which indwells each believer. But the Apostle Paul also spoke about one hope of your calling in these verses. This refers to the return of the Lord to take his church to heaven. And I don't know about you, but friend, I am looking forward to that day. As a matter of fact, it'd be just fine with me if I heard the trumpet sound right about now. If the Lord split the eastern sky right about now, you realize that when the Lord returns again and raptures His church to heaven, there will be no more heartache, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more disease. And praise God, the rapture of the church is the one cure-all. Say amen right there. But He also speaks of one Faith. Now I want you to get this: one faith. And do you see this? In uh, I'm reading out of verses four, five, and six. Four, five, and six. In verse five, says, "There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism." The word faith, uh, uh, the one faith, simply means the one settled body of truth. Deposited by Christ in His church. And this is the faith that the early Christians recognized as the faith of God that God gave us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And let me say this, it's the same faith that Jude spoke of in his letter. And I want to say this to you. If you believe in God, if you believe that you are saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe in His virgin birth, in His soon coming again, if you believe in the inspired, infallible, precious Word of God, then, friend, you're going to have a hard time to get me off the same page as you. Amen. Amen. And would to God that the church in America today would wake up and remember, we don't need to be shooting ourselves in the foot. We don't need to be wounding our own soldiers. We need to be united together, loving one another, praying with one another. There's enough uh, uh, evil to fight that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. We sure don't need to be fighting one another. Say amen right there. The Bible also speaks of the gifts for unity. And I wish I had time to go into that, but we're going to move over that. But, But Paul, in verses 7 through 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, he begins to move now from what all Christians have in common to how all Christians are different. What do all Christians have in common? Well, we got saved the same way. Now, that doesn't mean we all got saved at the same place. That don't mean we all said the same prayer. That don't mean we all were in church the day we got saved. I know I was sitting in the front seat of Malcolm Carter Sr.'s uh, Ford Thunderbird when I got saved. I heard about a lady that got saved in the bathroom. Go figure. So, it's not... It's not where we got saved or what we specifically said when we got saved, but you better believe this. If we're saved, we got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ because we confessed Him to be our Lord and our Savior. We put our faith in His death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? And, And so that's what we all have in common. God saved us the same way. He baptized us in the body of Christ. But as Paul goes through this chapter, this is so cool. He moves away from what we all have in common and he begins to talk about how we all differ one from another. He is discussing variety and individuality within the unity of the Spirit. Now how many of you know? That you don't have to be like somebody else in the church or have the same gifts or the same calling or the same talent or minister in the same ministry to be united together for one common goal. You know what's cool? I love the team structure of Temple. I love how we have all these different ministry teams. I mean, We have the small groups, and that's so awesome. We have mission teams. We have folks that do the sights and the sound and and the worship. We have the the, the greeters in the parking lot uh, folks that, that greet people in the first impressions. And we're all doing different tasks, but say amen to this. We're all working for one same purpose. Man, we're here to reach the lost, to glorify God, and to build a church where this community of starting here, going to the entire world, can make an impact for Jesus Christ. The sad thing is, competition creeps in, doesn't it? Jealousy creeps in. We think because somebody looks a little different than us, They must not be one of us. Or we think because somebody else's ministry is more successful that there's no need for us to help them in that. Can I say this? I don't know about the other ministries. Well, yeah, I think I do. I know I can speak for myself. There's no possible way for me to do what God has called me to do without tons of other people. It's just impossible. Whether those other people are people that give or people that serve or people that pray or people that might uh, do a chore, whatever it is, it's impossible to do anything alone for God. Now I want to tell you this. We need one another. Let me give you maybe three quick, three quick things about unity. Then we'll have a, time of prayer, and we'll be gone. I want you to see something about the explanation of unity. What is unity? I mean, what is it? I said earlier that unity was not uniformity. See, unity comes from within. It's a spiritual grace, while uniformity is the result of pressure from without. If you wanted a definition for unity, unity is the state of being one. The dictionary says it is the state or fact of being united or combined into one. It is oneness of mind, oneness of feeling, or oneness among a group of persons. Uniformity... On the other hand, is that that is the state or quality of being uniform. Now, listen up real good right here. Unity is the state or the quality of being one. Uniformity is the state or quality of being uniform, or it means overall, Buchanan, I thought this was cool. It means overall sameness or regularity. One definition of uniformity is uniformity of styles or choices. I believe that Christians commonly, commonly mistake uniformity for unity. Well, how do you mean, preacher? Well, if we all dress the same, then we must be united. That just means everybody shops at the same store. You, you, you know, uh, it means that all the wives got together and went shopping together. Maybe they, they were united in their shopping spree. But but if we all dress the same or, or look the same, that doesn't mean we're united. That might be a good indication that we are just suffering from uniformity. If we all prefer the same music or the same worship style, then we are United. Not necessarily. It might just mean that we are all in uniform. If we use the same Christian lingo or the same words, then, then we are united. No, that has nothing to do with unity. Remember, unity is a spiritual grace it's something that is developed over time as we learn to walk in love and walk in the, the law of the Lord, as we learn to love one another and depend on one another and to draw strength from one another, we become unified as one body. Yeah, and it's not uniformity. If we adore the same pastors, preachers, And well-known evangelist. then, Then we must be united. Not necessarily. That could just say we like some of the same things. You see, none of these outward tendencies or preferences indicate spiritual unity. Let me say this. Uniformity calls for demands upon one another. While unity... Calls for dependence upon one another. Uniformity stems and creates pride. Unity creates the power of God. Uniformity brings hindrances that are completely unnecessary. While unity brings hope that we cannot live without in this present day and age. And so the explanation of unity is that unity is not uniformity. Unity without diversity would produce uniformity. Now I want you to hear that real good. Unity without diversity... That's why that Brother Malcolm talks so much about spiritual gifts. That's why we have the spiritual gift test and all those different things. And that's why when, when I guess the church staff is trying to help guide everybody to a certain ministry team, that, that the spiritual gifts that God has given us is so vital. Because if we just had, if we just had unity and no diversity, we would produce... A whole bunch of people that looked alike, but weren't necessarily going for the common goal. Here's the problem. You say, well, well, preacher, what's wrong with uniformity? It produces death. It produces death. And there's churches all across the United States tonight where they've got handful of people holding on. And guess what? They all look pretty much alike. But there hadn't been life there in a coon's age. And, and their desire to hold on to that uniformity. Instead of, instead of it bringing the power of God, it brought death. And now there's nothing more than a memorial. You know, Dr. Vance Havner said this about churches and, and the potential for a church to falter. He said, first there is a man, then a movement, then a machine, and then a monument. Many ministries that began as a protest against dead orthodoxy became dead their Because in their desire to remain pure and doctrinally sound, they stifled creativity and new ideas. Do you know this? You can uphold the the truth of this book, and we can uphold the doctrines of this book, and we can still celebrate each other's differences we can still celebrate the gifts and the callings that God has given to each one of us, and we don't have to compromise on what thus saith the Lord. But you probably know as well as I do, if an outward appearance changes, then they say, well, they done threw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater. Hold on a minute. We ain't even got no bath water. We have a precious book, God's Word. And I love our preacher's stance on the Bible. He says, if the Bible's for it, I'm for it. If the Bible's against it, I'm against it. And it's really that easy, the explanation of unity. Let me ask you this. What do you think unity is? What do you think unity is? Have we been guilty of calling uniformity unity? Listen, when we're united, if Temple Baptist Church is united, it's going to come from the inside of every one of us. And it's going to work its way outside. Uniformity comes from the outside and tries to creep its way inside. Let me say a word to you about examples Examples of unity. You know, in the Bible, there's many examples of unity. Israel fighting against Amalek is in Exodus chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, is a great example of Christian unity. Listen to this verse. And it came to pass, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Now let me ask you something What would Israel have done? What would Moses had done if there had been division between him and Aaron and her? What if one of them old boys was fighting and jockeying for a position? I want to say the story would have had a different ending. But they were united. Jonathan and his armor bearer in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verses 6 and 7 is a great example of unity. The Bible says, And Jonathan said to the young man that, That bear his armor, come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. He said, "Now listen, they were between a rock and a hard spot. They were in a battle." He says, "For there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few." In other words, Jonathan. Basically is trying to tell his armor bearer, come on, man, let's take it. Let, let, let's try our best. Let's give it a shot. You know, to put it in our, in our vernacular today, it'd be like the preacher saying, let's start this new campaign. Or, or church, let's build this building. Or let's do whatever it is. Watch what his armor bearer said. His, and his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee, according to thy heart. His armor bearer basically said, said, preacher, I'm with you. I'm together with you. You can count on me. And all through the Bible, there's example after example after example. The rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem with Nehemiah, the head engineer in charge. The entire thing happened because the Bible said the people had a mind to work. And they worked together. Four men in Mark chapter 2 that brought the man that was sick of the palsy was a great example of Christian Unity. And I think you know that story probably, but in Mark chapter 2, the Bible says it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And Jesus was ministering, Jesus was preaching, Jesus was healing sick folks and and lame folks. And and he was opening the eyes of the blind and doing great things. And the Bible says, here comes a man on his bed that was sick of the palsy, which is a, 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 a great disease that basically causes every extremity to be impaired and you can't walk on your own. And the Bible says, he was born of four probably four of his buddies, and they cared enough for him to each, I can just see, each grabbed one corner of the stretcher, so to speak, and they did what it took together to bring this man for healing to Jesus. You say, what's that got to do With the man in the moon. I tell you what it has to do. If we'll work together and operate together and have one mind and one accord and get our mind off the frivolous things of this life and be heavenly minded and and set our affection on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, we could literally turn the world upside down because we did it together. Together. Together, Let me ask you this, by way of application, can you look at your life and readily see examples of times when you have acted in unison with other believers? Do you help to bring people together or do you help drive people apart? Now don't raise your hand and don't answer out loud. (laughs) Because truth be known, there's been some times when I had a big sledgehammer in this hand and a big wedge in this hand and maybe I didn't intend it, maybe I didn't mean to, but my words divided, my actions divided, my selfishness divided. My pride divided. But you know what? When the Lord reveals it, we ask him to forgive us. We go to our brother or our sister, we ask their forgiveness, and we move on and we strive to live together because making an impact for God is way more important than getting my own way. Somebody say amen. 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 Let me, lastly, speak to you not only about the examples of unity and the explanation of unity, but I want to say a word about the enemies, the enemies of unity. The Bible says here in Ephesians, 20, Ephesians 4, verses 27 through 32, the Bible has a lot to say about the enemies of unity. What causes a body of believers, a local body of believers, to become disenfranchised one with another or disgruntled? What causes them, what enemies are there that will attack a church body and try to cause a spirit of no unity? Well, you know, unity adds richness, depth. It changes everything. But you have to work at unity. Unity will will go places. Unity will allow us to defeat giants. Unity will allow us to to win games, so to speak, and to climb mountains and to cross great valleys and rivers. But what are those enemies that fight against it? Well, pride is one of them. Ephesians chapter number 4, as the Apostle Paul says, started out in verse number 2. He said, With all lowliness and meekness, long-suffering for bearing one another in love. In other words, the apostle Paul knew that even as the great apostle, the anointed one of God, he had to live and operate just like Jesus. Lowliness and meekness. And let me just say, Nothing will will put a a flame of unity out as quick, probably, as pride. There's another enemy of unity in the church, and that is gossip. In Ephesians chapter 4, right here in our text, in verse 29, the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, why would Paul talk about corrupt communication proceeding from our mouth? Because the apostle Paul knew, and God knows that gossip and and bad talking and foolish jesting, it has never one time brought anybody together. It just drives us apart. So pride is an enemy of unity. And gossip is an enemy of unity. Gossip is one of the most evil spirits there is. Gossip is degrading. It will destroy a a small group. It will destroy a Sunday school class. It will destroy a church. It will destroy a ministry or even a workplace. And I know when we come to church, we're just thinking about church stuff. But take just a moment. Think about where you work every day. Think about where you spend your 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week in your workplace. Do you have that person in your mind right now that's always causing divisions? Or maybe you're picturing somebody that you work with that is such a precious person. They're always doing what they can to, to help the environment and the people you work with be as one. Let me say something. If it's good enough for the church house, it's good enough for the workplace. You say, well, well, Brother Travis, I can't stand my job or the people I work with. Well, I, I know something about having a job I can't stand, but I also know this. If I strive to do my best to have unity wherever God puts me, my day goes by a whole lot easier. Amen. What else destroys unity? What other other enemies of unity are there? Well, unresolved disagreements are an enemy of unity. In verse 31, the Bible says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. If there is a wound to clean it and an unconfessed sin unresolved disagreements things that are just left undone in the hopes that it'll just go away can I give you a newsflash they don't go away they go to the back of your mind they go down in our gut they hide out somewhere in our spirit and they crop their ugly head Time and time again, usually when we're least expecting it. And unresolved disagreements kill unity among a congregation. And then the last one, the last uh, enemy of unity. Well, actually, I guess there's a million more. But the last one I'm going to mention is a lack of shared purpose. A lack of shared purpose. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But happy is he, or but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Everyone in the church or the class or the business should know why they're there. It's the leader's job and responsibility to share that vision and to share that purpose that God has given him. And I'm praising God, we have a leader here at Temple that shares that vision. If you come here for more than a a few services and, and, and can't figure out what the vision is, then maybe your vision thing is broke, I don't know. But man, we're loving God, we're loving others, we're serving both, and that's why we're here. But if you try to come here and that ain't your purpose and you don't share that vision and you have no no, no desire to love God, no desire to love others, you don't want to serve God and others, you're not going to do a very good job of being united. So what do I do? What do I do? Jump on board. Come on. We're going somewhere. Let's live for God. Let's do this thing. Let's be united. Let's put these other things uh, behind us and let's go for the gusto. Amen? Amen. Unity. So vitally important. And I close. We're going to have an altar call, a, a prayer here in just a moment. I want you to go home and think about this. God, what can I do to help In my workplace, in my small group, in my church family, what can I do to be a team player? What can I do to be united in one accord with the purpose of Temple Baptist Church? And most of all, with the purpose that God has given the church. Amen? And then, don't be afraid to ask God, Lord, are there areas where I have hindered that? And you know what I found out? When I ask God those tough questions, sometimes he just speaks to me and shows me right where I'm wrong. And when he does, just deal with it, confess it, and go on and live for God together. Amen? Amen. Well, praise God. Let's all stand. We got about 14, 13, or 14 minutes left. And I do want to say this. We're having the resource clinic for the homeless in Birmingham this Saturday. If you'd like more information about that, uh, you can uh, see me or Brother Tim Barbie right after this. We're going to meet here uh, tomorrow night at 7. If if you plan on going to that and you want to get some more information, tomorrow night at 7 we're going to have an informational meeting where we give some instructions and stuff like that. So feel free to come to the gym tomorrow at 7.